Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives. We're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. This podcast is about women, working, money, and family, and in every episode, we consider the research and share our takes on what we're learning every day about breadwinning. I'm Jennifer Owens, and I write about working, wellness, and women, and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. And most days, I'm joined by my co-host, Raquel Ellison. On this episode of The Breadwinners, I'm joined by Tina Berger, a management consultant who works with Fortune 500 companies experiencing digital transformation. After more than 20 years working on global energy challenges, she now advocates a systemic reset, collective reimagining of our economic paradigm to serve the global good and the needs of future generations. Her new book, Coming Around, Surprises and Surrender on the Path to Inspiration, is going to help us focus on the power of receptivity and co-creative innovation, all of which is to say, welcome, Tina. That's easy for you to say. Thank you I so know. Much. That is Thank not you. easy. We are, we are totally going to get into co-creative innovation. Oh, my God. Let's definitely do it. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, well, you know, so we often started the breadwinners with a stat, and I think, what you and I are talking about is the rare 100% in that we all need a reset in so many ways. And so I thought we'd start with what is a reset to you? Like, how are you defining reset? Because I know I feel I need one, but I'll pass to you to define it for us. Oh, you know, well, reset for me is, well, it can mean a whole lot of things, but in the context of a reset in the book and the reset that I feel that I'm looking for or that I'm wanting to, what I should say is what I'm looking to participate in is looking at our systems that really tell us what's important, that tell us kind of how to be, how to act, how to work, how to interact with each other. There are some invisible systems that we have that for me, I've because of my time spent traveling the world, but also inside of corporations, I working with organizations during change, I see some consistent patterns and they make me aware of some invisible systems that are at work on us that I feel if we were intentional about and if we work together on, there's a real opportunity to reset them and actually, you know, end up with a much more life affirming, inspiring cultural set of cultural norms if you will do you promise (laughs) (laughs) you know uh it's yeah i hope so i hope so um we need to oh for sure well so is it possible to define some of those systems in in short order definitely yeah i think you can definitely look at that And, and, and i'll relate it i'll relate one piece of it because i think this is an easy point of access you had a person a couple of months ago on your program who talked about listening and the importance and significance of listening and how everybody that she talks to uh, when she goes out and does storytelling, um, you know, I think she was a storytelling consultant. Yeah, Sailor PR, yeah. Yes, yes, was, uh, was people were going, oh, no, I'm not a good listener. And then she said, we don't get affirmed, we don't get reinforced, we don't get rewarded for listening. That is a receptive human expression, right? So when you are in a receptive mode, you're actually taking in that person's perspective. You're not 
doing what we do, which is trying to think of what a better thing to say is. <laughs> or, or, Wait, you know me. <laughs> but, but what she said is in, in corporate context and in work context, and this is very much true, we get affirmed and rewarded for being assertive in the way we speak, in the way we show up, um, in the way we dominate a conversation. And this is also true in school. So, you know, like all through life. So if I just take listening as an example, and there are a number of different elements of receptivity, but listening is a good one because people can get their heads around that. And we all know how it feels to not be listened to. So over time, we stop listening because the correct way to be is not that way. It, that's the way to be successful is not by listening. And so, you know, so we're one upping people. And, and if I talk to you about sitting around, a, you know, the way we collaborate and I'll put collaboration, you know, collaborate in uh, quotation marks, is there are six or eight people sitting around a table and we have something that's called a brainstorm, yeah. <laughs> yes. which is really <laughs> the most assertive people in the room making a case for the thing that they most want to have happen. And then whoever wins at collaboration, that's the thing we do. It is not a creative (laughs) process. Oh, no, it's highly political, too. Because, you know, who's speaking louder just by the presence of where they are in the hierarchy? And, yes, oh, I'm always fascinated. And, you know, Storm is such a, when you, you make me think now, Storm is a really aggressive word. To put it, it, that's not a collaborative word. That's that's like melted, you know. And in recent years, I have come to understand how much receptive, integrative, good listeners loathe the whole brainstorming (laughs) process. I do. I I don't know if I'm a good listener, but I do hate brainstorming sessions. So I'm going to say A plus B (laughs) equals C that I'm a good listener. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, but it's uh, so that's that's one piece is is really looking at what it is we value, what it is we reward, what it is we affirm in our culture and in our systems. And I can talk about that on a very sort of specific and individual level, um, like listening. I can talk about it on a in a more group sort of setting an organizational dynamic where everything's competitive and about winning and not really about integrating the best elements of the people that we like the best gifts of who we have in the room, like figuring out how to do that, you know, and we can talk about it uh, even from the point of view of the importance of doing and grind over the importance of being and being still. So we don't value stillness. And stillness is where we're really able to listen beyond our own mental noise, you know? Yes. It's so, I, because it's all about me personally, (laughs) that being able to quiet and be creative, my heart cries to do that. Mm -hmm. But then my head starts to scramble of, well, maybe I'm being too quiet. Do they know that I'm doing it? And I I need to prove myself. I better say something. I better do something. And yes, it's a constant, I have a storm in my heart. I have a storm brewing for that need for stillness and that fear of stillness at the same time. Yes. Yes. So what's the fear? (laughs) I'm curious about your fear of stillness. I I hear that a lot. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's external. It's to proof of concept to the external team that I'm working. Mm -hmm. I see. If you have a lot of folks, especially in the digital world, would you have a lot of folks that are, you know, coding or they're testing out things or they're, they're showing mock-ups and, you know, there's this and that, and you're trying to figure out how to make an entire, I'm an editor, so it's uh, how to make an entire content plan, which mm -hmm. is a lot of like imagining, thinking about where this is going to go and how they're going to use it. It seems less tangible mm -hmm. and that intangibility makes it seem quiet and still, even though it's a lot of like activity in my brain and eventually I will present it. I did. It, it's just when someone else is saying, and there, and I crocheted this, and I stitched <laughs> that, and I quilted that. You know, you're like, well, I made, a, you know, I dreamed up an entire Yeah. So, I, and it's a part of it is, um, it does. It's all internal. No one has ever said, "Don't be creative." Don't, you know. In fact, because that's that's where I'm. I make my money is being creative and thinking of things. But too quiet, too long, and you start to think. Oh, my value is falling. It's it's all intrinsic. So I mm -hmm. I, I understand completely. Yes. And I'm working right now on a uh, and this is related to what you're saying. I'm working on a project now with the digital team that is they're an innovation team. They're an innovation organization, and they do some things that actually create space or a container for a creative emergence, which is what creativity is. You're talking about an yeah. emergence. You're not talking about a process. And most of the big, giant corporations out there, especially in oil and gas, these are risky businesses, you know, like in a way yeah. where they have processized themselves into an innovative corner in a way. It's like we do this every time we do this, we do it this way. And there are aspects of their business that must be that way. But it's been overgeneralized and overappreciated. And so now it's, well, but we have to move faster and we have to create more, um, we have to have more creative approaches to problems and we have to do all of this fast and we have to leverage, you know, the, the like I said, the, the sort of the different kinds of knowledge and skills and intelligence and creative, you know, abundance yeah. that exists. Well, how do we do that? Well, you know, innovation does not look productive. So, right. When you are you have an overfocus on productivity and an underfocus on creativity, which is an emergence. And you know, when we talk about inspiration, inspiration is the in breath, you know, in addition to kind of something what who knows what the source of inspiration is, right? Yeah. Yeah. You only get inspired if you're still enough and oh and and, and paying right kind of attention to receive it. So it's a receptive process. And yeah. true innovation and collaboration is integrative and it's cyclical. You know, it sort of begins to, there's an, um, there's an energy to it that many people don't have never experienced. And I've, I say that as somebody who's only recently in the last 10 years had any of those kinds of experiences in a group, right? So I'm talking about a consistent systemic bias in like that's against not against. I want to say yeah. that it's more. In, but it's, it's more pro. in favor. Yeah. yeah, it's more in favor of the assertive. More in favor of speaking than listening. More in favor of doing than being. More in mm -hmm. favor of planning than being spontaneous and seeing where you end up. You know, more in favor of thinking and intellect. 
than of feeling and understanding emotionally, you know? Yeah. So we make, so I'm, I'm often, I'm sitting, not often, but occasionally I have a serious moment where I'm sitting in an, you know, I'm sitting with an executive leader and I can tell that they're very much conflicted, you know? And, and at one point I said, what's happening? And, and he said, well, you know, my team's upset with me because we had this goal that we weren't going to flare hydrocarbons when we did this, you know, when we produced this well. This is a multi-billion dollar part of the business, right. by the way. And so he had done all of this work on values and figuring out who they wanted to be as a team and how they were going to work together. And eventually, because there's this focus on productivity, now mind you, the well itself is going to produce what it produces, you know? Right. Right. That's right. It. It, it doesn't, you know, but because we have this short timeline, we have a quarterly focus on growth of profit yeah. and his his business unit was responsible for some percentage of that. Um, if he did the thing that he knew actually and felt actually was the correct right thing from a values point of view, then he wouldn't have a job the next year. So Ooh. there's often situations where we as people are being put in like because we have this kind of overarching focus on productivity on infinite growth especially in large corporates where where they're publicly traded it's growth it's not growth in service of anything no one ever goes hey why right right. does citibank really need to be bigger why (laughs) does it need to make more profit than it's making right now why no, as as a Citibank customer, uh, yeah, you could pay a little bit back in those fees. Yes, <laughs> uh, you know. So that when we put somebody in a role like that, that is their job. Make that number right. bigger every year, not every year for the next five years. Every year, forever. Right. <laughs> That's right. not sustainable. Right. And then when you don't, and they, you know, you're out. They bring the new person in. It's a constant cycle of uncertainty and change it change for the sake of change not change for the sake of you know health it's change for the sake of can we do this cheaper so that number can get yeah, bigger that's, that's what true. that is and and i'm not saying that because i'm angry at the i'm not angry at those executives that is what they're hired to do they're not like if i look at the difference between someone who's hired by a uh, city corp or uh, uh patagonia yeah, you know, you've seen Patagonia, right? Patagonia has a huge kind of value story, and they get yeah. to get out in there and say what they want to say about what's happening in the world. They can do that because it's a privately held company; it's owned by one dude right. and his family. Yep. Citicorp is probably owned by everybody in our neighborhood because yeah, it's in our. It, it, you know, but we because we're not really being conscious of that, we get mad at Citicorp, but not at ourselves. For picking our investments that way. So, oh, yeah. So that's, you know, these things are, are um, <laughs> it's tricky territory, right? I'm right. Not, and I don't, I don't feel judgmental about it. I feel like we need to go, hey, we can do better than this. Yeah. But we can round the corner on talking about the impact on future generations. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yes. How do we do that? Not even for like, you know, next generation that lives in my house, but the generation they're going to have at some point. Totally. That's right. You know, like when I was 
and probably you were moving into the workforce, it wasn't clear to us. And it frankly wasn't as bad. We've had 40 years of watching yeah. this now and being, you know, being kind of looking at it and going, uh, you know, but, but when I came into the workforce, you couldn't tell what the impact was. There wasn't any way of knowing that. So we had this, uh, we've been kind of told this is the best system there is, you know, and I'm not saying, oh, there's other much, much better systems. I'm saying I grow up kind of thinking this is the way to do it. This is the right place to be. And the standard of living here was amazing. But our kids grow up actually seeing the impact of the, yeah. the large corporations. They know who makes their smartphones. And they know the situations that those people are living in. They understand the destruction. Right. And they're saying to us, hey, how about we stop doing that? And we're like, yep. well, you'll figure it out. <laughs> I, I hope you do figure that out because you're right. This is bad. <laughs> well, it's akin to us when we watch like um, Mad Men or old movies and they just toss things onto the ground and you're like oh i can't believe i mean geez louise what are you doing are they just pumping things into the water before the clean water act and and yes. just the horror of that well, that's what they're looking at when they look at these corporate policies of like they just can't these things that we've internalized and we're like mm -hmm. oh yeah that is kind of yeah we really shouldn't maybe maybe we should think yes. about that uh, yeah you know our kids have grown up you know, there's a lot of talk about the trophies. There's a lot of talk about, oh, you know, we've made oh, them yeah. soft, all this. All right. And the truth is, like, the things that I taught my kids, I'm proud of. I taught them to care a lot about their peers and people like them and people on the other side of the world that are not like them. I taught yep. them not to throw stuff on the ground, you know. And then it's like they get through school and they're looking at the options going, are you serious? This is nothing you told me. Yeah, there, this is all was, throwing stuff on the ground. This, this is, is all throwing stuff on the ground. This is all cutthroat, you know, get the promotion. This is all competitive. And I think I'll stay in the garage. <laughs> and I'm like, I, yeah, I kind of don't blame you, you know. So I think there's, a, so to get back to the question of what do we do about that, you know, for many years, I've watched this and I've worked as a stockbroker for a while too. So I've seen that, that perspective on it. Uh, and I see the pressure on these companies yeah. and I see the pressure on these people. And I see what's happening when you end up with a person who can make a decision, decision after decision after decision, only based on the numbers and really not have a problem with it and sleep like a baby every night. Then yeah. you kind of are like, this is who we're promoting into leadership positions. This is on us. And, and so, yeah. you know. And who so we're investing in and who, exactly. you know, right? Yes. Uh, that, yes. Yeah. Yes. So there's a real need to kind of come back to the systems and kind of throw open the, you know, the curtains on them and say, okay, this is what we've been in service to. And when people say, well, why do you have to replace it with? We don't want to be this and we don't want to be that. And I'm like, I'm not. Where is our creativity? I'm not pointing at something else saying we should be this and adopt that. I'm saying we should engage with each other and figure out what we want to be. But the answer to that is we don't know how to engage with each other <laughs> because right. we don't know how to listen to each other about and, and integrate the different points of view into something that works. So that's the, that's the exercise that I'm trying to learn for myself and I'm trying to 
you know, learn and work with inside of corporations and, uh, and other organizations. So, so let's figure out how to breathe and be inspired and create and be surprised by what we create instead of everything's got to have this, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. one thing to have a vision, you know, and a, a vision that guides you. It's another thing to have very specific goals and very specific outcomes that you're driving to because often what's needed by the time you get there is maybe different than what was needed when you started down that path. So you have to have some give and flexibility and hold vision, but keep the path a little more flexible than we're used to allowing ourselves to have because we're trying to get there fast first and win at it. (laughs) Always. As my my husband always says, there's no I in team, but there is me and I win. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, and so is that the surrender as part of this? I mean, surprises are, I mean, we're living in a pandemic. Surprise. Is that part of the surrender? Yes. I mean, you know, like the people, many of the times the people who are best at these things are people who have not been successful in our systems. They're people who have been traumatized by them and or have not been wired to be successful in them, right? So if you think about the people, like many people who are really kind of your most pure kind of inspired artists, for example, um, who haven't learned how to grind and kind of make a racket out of it in in a way, right? Like, And I don't mean that as a, it's like, we're all in this game. So I'm not holding myself in a different place. I'm saying... You know, if you're super receptive, if you're able to hold people through pain, if you're a hospice nurse, if you are a teacher who holds space for, you know, children and it's like we just don't pay them <laughs> and we don't yeah. pay attention to what they have to tell us and teach us. So there's a way that we have to engage more than just people who have studied poli- like political science and and become right. lawyers. Most of our if you think about it. Most of our government is the most, they're in the, they've been taught in the most assertive, yeah. competitive kind of career. It's being an attorney. Talk about grind, just the money raising. It's all a grind. It right? is. And so, gosh, you know, so do I know exactly what the answer is? No, but I know that we can figure it out together. That's the thing. And I think we have to learn how there are skills we need to remember. There are ways of being that we need to remember that we've taught ourselves out of knowing. Like, we, you know this. You know how to be with somebody who's sad. You know how to take in the pain. Like, there's so much anxiety, and our kids have it. And there's so much depression, and our kids have it. You yeah. know, but like, the answer to that is, oh, there's something wrong with you. It's not. We're doing bad things. <laughs> You're right. anxious because there are people starving on the other side of the world or even in our country. You know, yeah. You're feeling that because, yes, we're partly having an individual experience, but we're all also interdependent. Right. That's the receptive aspect of who we are. The assertive aspect is we're individuals. The receptive aspect is we're all connected and we feel it. We know it. You can't lose a species on this planet without feeling the pain of that somewhere in your body. You know, you can't pollute a river without feeling that. So we're anesthetizing our sensitive people and telling them that there's something wrong with them when what's really happening 
is they're very sane and feeling the, the impacts yeah. of what we're perpetuating. Right. I don't know and, if it's great, but yeah. it feels true. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it, I always think um, that it, the first step is acknowledging it. Like, yes. No, no, you're not wrong. You know, you're not wrong. And you're allowed to feel that. And from there, because if you're, if you're told you're wrong and that you're not allowed to feel those feelings and your anxiety is wrong and there will be no inspiration, we, we will not, there is no caring yes. feeding inspiration then. Yes. But we oh, do yeah. try to talk our people out of feeling. It's like, that's not a useful thing. You know, what are you going to do about it? But what are you going to do about it? But what are you going to do about it? It's like, make a to-do list. <laughs> sometimes you just need to feel it because only through feeling that will you know what the right step is to do. Only through going through that, you know, that kind of, there's a beautiful book um, called Active Hope by Joanna Macy. And she talks about the activation of grief and how it teaches us, you know, and pain, how it teaches us what's needed. Well, that's an inspiration, right? Like when you yes. are not serving somebody's idea of what would be good to do or how we can dominate the planet even more, it's like, what do we need to be in service to? What is most needed right now? You have to ask those questions and yeah. sit in the uncomfortable place of not knowing. And so there's a little bit of surrender there. You know, that's where the surrender is. I ended up having to surrender a lot in my life because I was very successful in, you know, in, in my career and not very, like there were things that weren't working. Yeah. You know, yep. and when I, when I first started, like, even now, if I walk around, you know, and, and I say to people, you know, like we're killing the planet. Right. And they're like, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I was younger, no one said that. No one right. thought that. Now we go, yeah. Ooh. It's like, yeah, yeah, we should really stop that. Yeah. <laughs> when are we going to do that? Like, what, they're like, oh, but the next generation, they're smart. They'll figure it out. Yeah, they'll like, figure it out. That is not Greta, fair. Greta has it under control. That's She'll do it. Fair. She'll yeah. She's like so. 13 years old and put everything on this poor Swedish girl. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> she is. She's pretty much a badass, though. I do like uh, <laughs> She really is. <laughs> she gets the props from me for sure. But I do think we should help them a little. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> well... Thank you for that inspiration. And I thank you for joining us on The Breadwinners. It's been very, you, you're going to sit with me for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yes. And please, like, if you want to come back and, and uh, you know, you let me know what you need. As far All as, right. like, we can do a second run at this or we can do anything your, your, uh, your listeners need. But I've enjoyed the conversation so much. Well, you will find links to what we discussed. You'll find links to Tina's book in the episode description. Email us anytime at thebreadwinnerspod at gmail.com or visit us at thebreadwinnerspodcast.com. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review it. It really helps us grow. And until next week, keep hustling. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.